to say it. <laughs> Definitely. Alhamdulillah. So guys, three, two, one. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to the Omarpreneur Live podcast. And today I have with me a very special guest, a very, very special guest that I'm excited to bring to you today. And it is my good friend and brother and mentor, Muhammad Hamoud, who is an entrepreneur, an executive leadership coach, a keynote speaker, host of the Unfiltered podcast. And there's so much that I can say about him. He's also a loving husband and father of three. And he speaks regularly on the topic of Muslim identity, on the topic of diversity, of inclusion, of leadership. And he has over 25 years of work experience serving as a leadership and diversity consultant. And he was also nominated a Liberal Party of Canada leadership candidate. And he ran in the 2019 federal election in Canada, which is a pretty big deal for those of you who aren't Canadians, just so you know. So I want to bring him on today. And I'm so thankful to you, Mohammed, for sharing your time with us today, for just coming on and being able to you know, share your wisdom with us today. Thank you for that. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Thank you so much for what you're doing with this podcast and your platform, because I, I believe that the only way, and I say the only way to spread the message is to first win the hearts of people. When people are listening to you, they can listen to your message. And when your message is one of coexistence, of peace, of belonging, then they want to belong with you. And mm -hmm. that also describes why I exist and what I'm doing and why I strive so hard to create spaces where at the least on one extreme, we tolerate one another, but to the other extreme, we accept love and create spaces of belonging. So thank you for creating a podcast that celebrates the belonging of Muslims in the wider community and that celebrates what they give back. Thank you so much, brother. And honestly, just the honor is mine. And I'm so excited to have you on this podcast and to have you share your wisdom because this podcast wouldn't be anything without the guests to actually come on and share their valuable time with our audience and share their wisdom and knowledge with our viewers and listeners because I myself am not the highlight of this podcast. It's you and what you bring to the table. So I'm just grateful to you for coming on and, and sharing your time with us today. And I know that your time is precious. So let's take care of it as much as possible. And let's dive into the first question, which I ask every guest, and it's how you even came to be an entrepreneur. So what is it that inspired you to maybe get out of the career bubble and build your own thing? Good question. So, and for clarity, I still have a full-time job and, you know, whether it's parenting, a husband, a father, uh, whether it's the fact that I do have a full-time role with it, with an organization, but I think it's part of my culture and part of my upbringing and perhaps even part of my geographical background being Middle East and being Lebanese. I think we were just, you know, uh, sailors who wanted to explore the world and learn more. And I think that's part of the entrepreneurial spirit is to get out there and to want to learn and explore. And when you do that, for me, being stagnant, being in one place, being in one job, being in one role, being in, in, in just one persona means that I, I couldn't grow, I couldn't learn, I couldn't give back. And so the entrepreneurial spirit is not just one that I use to help me earn a living or uh, share a message. It's one that allows me to grow and recognize that being an entrepreneur is being someone who's always willing to learn, someone who's always taking the lead of their own lives. Because I think when we, when we look at it from a work perspective, and, you know, allow me to dive there when we say, oh, I, I work for someone or I work for myself, you know, and th th that's how we define, you know, if I'm an entrepreneur. Well, if you wait for others to act upon you or you act upon yourself, you act yourself, you are the lead, you are the change that you want to see in this world. You have that entrepreneurial spirit. You want to move forward. You want to create your own weather. You want to carry your own weather and you want to be in control of the things that are within the domain of your control. And I think that's what entrepreneurial is that about. And if, if you're successful to bringing that to your business exploits and whatever you're doing to, to earn a living, because most of us have to work for a living, then I think you, you're on the right path to hopefully gaining some fulfillment and happiness in your life. That's beautiful. And I completely agree in that it's not only limited to, you know, are you an entrepreneur because you have a job or don't have a job? It's really about, you know, are you actually creating change in your own way? And are you actually being proactive mm -hmm. in the things that you want to accomplish and the change you want to see in the world? And you're someone who very much is implicated in that. And I wanted to know, 
someone growing up, if we were to think back on, you know, Muhammad, who's, you know, a young kid and he's growing up and, uh, you know, going to school and having all these experiences that we all do as we grow up. Did you know, did you have this feeling that you wanted to do something more, that you had a bigger vision and you wanted to make an impact at a higher level? Was that there for you? My modest self wants to say, no, we never know what we want to do or what we think we will become. But, you know, at, I remember being eight years old and walking home every day from, you know, when I was in grade three, walking home from, from school. I'd be playing in the puddles as it rained or, in, you know, the snow banks. And all I remember is there was this real going on inside my head, somebody talking to me, my inner voice saying, and when you grow up, and I get goosebumps when I think about it, every time I think about it, when you grow up, you will be watching this movie about yourself. So as a child, when I put my head to sleep, I fantasized I would be a singer, a dancer, uh, an actor. Uh, I would be everything. I, I wanted to be all these things where I was engaging with people, where literally I was in, in the spotlight, where people were looking at me and I was looking at people, where I could speak to them, where I could share ideas with them. But I, I wanted to say that at a young age, I did crave thriving in attention and I wanted to share a story and I felt that always my life would be uh, a public display of what I have inside of me that I say now through the eyes of an adult but as a young child that video reel was always in my head and I always told myself you're going to be sharing your story with the world now I didn't become an actor I acted as I was growing up I didn't become a singer I still think that I'm going to be the next Sammy Yusuf uh, <laughs> right uh, you know I, I do have these dreams and I don't tell myself that I'm too young or too old to to one day you'll never know maybe I will connect with with Sammy Yusuf the point is I have allowed myself to use whatever platform I could develop in terms of public service and, and sharing the story to let people know that whatever it is, whether we're dealing with trials or tribulations, challenges, whether we're, you know, I'll quote a colleague of mine, Nejwa Zabian, you know, who talks about the mountains that we carry, uh, we were only supposed to climb. So these mountains that we carry on our back often, I want to make sure that they become the summits that we climb and they give us clarity to be able to look around us and say that I own this. I see this. I have that clarity. I have worked hard. Too many of us are burying ourselves in the darkness of the weight that we carry on our shoulder. And if we allow ourselves to be buried, we should do it with the hope that we will be planted and that we will surge and thrive and, and rise and come with clarity and strength and allow our, our, our branches to reach others and our message to be like the leaves that transforms and, and gives life. Because if we are not here to make a change in the world and to give shade or to give a beauty like a wonderful tree can do, then we're not doing anything at all. We're standing in our own shadow and that we know is fruitless. Mm -hmm. 100%. And that's a very, I, I like that quote, actually, the mountains that we carry, we're only supposed to climb. I think it's something that we can all resonate with. And I think it's, it's, it's something that you think about, but then, and I, and I want to get your opinion on this, actually, speaking of that topic, what in your opinion is one of the ways for us to do that, to instead of holding on to these things, as burdens or weights that we that we that we put on ourselves to instead overcome them, what are the ways that someone can shift from a mindset where you know they're holding on to this to instead overcoming it? Is there something that you'd recommend? Yeah. So let me ask you, Abby, what do we strive for in this in this life? And what do we ask for in the Quran and, and through our creator? What do we ask to create? We're asked to be the best Muslim possible, the best servant to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right. And we were told. Uh, that we are the best that have come out to this world. We are, you know, mm -hmm. you are the best of God's creation to come out and you are the middle nation. So that idea of being the best is being the best for ourselves, not better than others. And that mm -hmm. idea of being the middle nation, it's being a balanced nation. And so what we strive for in our lives, we strive to establish daily, or at least what we need to be aware of is to create that balance and to create that integration. And so you cannot create a balance. If you think of, again, I don't have uh, a, a balance here, but if you think of what a balance looks like, for those of us that still remember what balances look like, there's the weight and there's the counterweight. And a balance is always recognizing 
between the two. So if you can't feel the burden of what pulls you down, you can't feel the burden or you can't celebrate what's going to pull you up. And so, you know, I always say, if you cannot taste what is bitter, you will never know what sweetness tastes like, right? And so it's by contrasting and comparing what makes us weak to what we know and learn can make us strong. And in creating that balance and in creating that union within us and bringing the divine within us to help us understand how we can create balance, because then it's a balance that is going to be accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but it's also going to be a balance that is in sync with creation. If it's a balance that we try to create, then it's a balance that is a counterfeit balance because then mm. it's shifting. So we need to be able to feel what weighs us down because human beings were not, we were not sent here. You know, God says that surely we will try you, right? Uh, so we are going to test you to see who of you is the best of those who can withstand and learn from the trials and tribulations. And so I don't believe that God is tasking me to be, more than I can actually uh, take on. And so every time I'm faced with a, a, a calamity or, or a disaster, and I have twice in my life, once when I was younger and I, you know, I, I will kind of out myself on this platform, you know, I was young and I tried to take my life. I was just overcome with, with difficulty and, and, and being othered and not belonging that I didn't want to live anymore. And then recently when I worked really hard in the elections and I lost that sense of defeat and, and the, uh, the damage to the ego just made me feel that I was worthless, made me feel tired. And one day this past December, I just sank into my ownness and I just felt like life is not worth it. And I haven't felt that defeated since the last time I, you know, I felt defeated and tried to hurt myself earlier in life. And so at 52, with everything that I've gone through and building the resilience, the resilient me that I have become, I still allow myself to feel that burden because only when I was able to sink so low and to feel so, so deprived and so defeated, only by breaking into a million pieces could I find the strength to rebuild myself. And like the phoenix, the alchemy of, of rebuilding yourself, you must because... God does not task you beyond the means that you can. You mm -hmm. just have to say to yourself, I can. Mm -hmm. This is powerful words, brother. And we haven't even, you know, I mean, just a few questions and already I'm getting so much gold from you. I, I want to ask you, Mohammed, because you mentioned something great. And the reason why I asked that question is because as much as I resonate with that quote, I myself still struggle with this as well. And I think we all do. And I think uh, it would be it would be wrong to say that this is something that, you know, when it comes to what we talked about of overcoming these challenges, it would be wrong to say that it's something that once you uh, adopt this mindset, you'll never have to struggle again or you'll never have to face defeat again or, or feel defeated again. I think it's a constant work in progress, just like everything else in life. And it is always something that we're going, going to have to remind ourselves of and put in an effort to apply into our lives and to reinforce that into our thinking and the way that we approach and view the world. And with you and what you're mentioning, and you mentioned an interesting point, is that you had to allow yourself to fully take in the emotions of the moment uh, for you to be able to overcome them. Did you feel that was necessary? Did you feel that if, if you were instead putting it to, pushing it to the side and saying, you know, yes, I feel this way, but it's not right to feel this way. It doesn't make logical sense. And so I'm just going to ignore it and just stuff it down as much as possible, which a lot of people do. And it might come out in other ways, you know, in, in aggression and, uh, you know, just be, being irritated. Do you, do you feel like that's counterproductive versus mm -hmm. just feeling it and overcoming it? Right. So if I was to take an elastic, Abby, and I was to stretch it, what would happen when I release it? It, it would snap back and even more than before. Right. Yeah. Right. So the more you stretch something to the point where it might break, but the more you stretch it to the point that it doesn't break, the faster it will spring back mm -hmm. and the further that it will fly. And so likewise with us, the more that we are tested, the more that we are stretched the more resilient that we are going to become. Our prophet, and here I will take advantage that, you know, in, on, on your podcast, you do align spirituality with Islam. I, I don't necessarily 
use that language because my podcast again is I, I try to reach a, a wide sorry if I, I don't mean it that not necessarily a wider audience but maybe a different audience and I speak to them more um, nuanced so that you know I, I don't necessarily care as a Muslim but I, with your permission I, I will refer to you here and it's not to you know just say oh because I'm on an Islamic based podcast but I will take advantage of that but our prophet وسلم, was constantly faced with tribulations and his life you know any prophet any prophet was not one that was sent to sit back and put one foot over the other and say i am your prophet with this wonderful message the the you know the greatest of the prophets all all of them and then you know the pinnacle of of that humanity that was in our uh, beloved muhammad 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 was always faced with trials and tribulations so for us to think that once we have that mindset that we are resilient and we can fight back and be strong and we have that balance, it's only in having that self-awareness. And this is why, you know, I say to Muslims, own it, man, own it. You know, people are not talking about mindfulness and emotional intelligence. And while they called it emotional intelligence for the past hundred years, man, you guys have been talking about it for many years. So have, so have religions and, and faith-based beliefs. They've been talking about mindfulness and, and presence and emotional intelligence for many years. We've just called them different things now, and we're trying to package them for a, com a commercial audience. But let's own it and say, if, you know, we've been emotionally intelligent as Muslims who are self-aware for many years. We've all, you know, uh, so when you know yourself, you know your Lord. And when you know your Lord, you know creation and other humans are part of that creation. So allow yourself to know yourself because within you lives the universe, as Rumi would say. Within you is the constant, you know, the universe in constant motion. And acknowledging that you, God says, nothing in this universe will, will embrace me and hold me, but the heart of my believing slave, my believing servant, so that I can, within my own heart, hold the almighty divine, that recognition, that mindset means that I have a responsibility and that responsibility comes with a heavy weight. Mm -hmm. And I must always challenge myself to find the balance of how I, as an imperfect creation, can hold within me the divine perfect being who is not created. So that I think is, you know, to answer your question is yes, that mindset is only the start of the journey of being self-aware as being able to contain within you, hold the amana that God said, I gave it to you when I gave it to to, to the rest of creation. It, it refused it, but you took it. And rather than living what God has said of us, when we, he gives us that trust, that amana, we live it foolishly. Let's take that amana and give it its full too. Let's create that balance. Hundred percent. That's beautifully said and, and very powerful words. And I appreciate you sharing that with our listeners. I'm honestly loving this episode so far. Wow, it's just absolutely wonderful. And I hope you guys are too. By the way, if you are watching this live, drop it in the comments and make sure to stay engaged. Inshallah. And now we, I want to segue to uh, something that is relevant to this topic and this discussion that we've had. And it's you have a TEDx speech, you're a keynote speaker, and you were featured on TEDx platform, Mashallah, for uh, your speech with which covers the topic of reclaiming the Islamic identity, specifically talking about reclaiming your name as Muhammad. I've shared this podcast, uh, sorry, this speech with everyone in the group, and I personally feel it's necessary for every Muslim to watch it. And I'm going to make sure to share it in the description of the episode as well. Can you tell me what was your motivation behind creating this? What was your process behind creating it? What inspired you to create this in the first place? Uh, so in part, my ego. I mean, you know, anybody that tells you that the ego doesn't have to be uh, stroked every once in a while, we do, you know, uh, but it's, you know, you go beyond that and you say, okay, great. Like part you know, to tell you that, remember that story of the kid and the real and, and wanted to be in, in, in the limelight. I, you know, I tried out operettas and acting when I was younger and I've always said, I'd love to have a stage where I can speak and share a message. And one day in a training, because um, I do training in my, in, in my job, uh, somebody said to me, oh, you're going to make, you know, you're going to give a TEDx talk. You know, you do this so well. I said, excuse me? Like the people that do that are smart. Like I aspire to be like them. But it fed me that idea that why not? What, what What's different from me? Okay, maybe I wasn't 
a published author yet, and maybe I had not become that speaker yet, and whatever, right? But yet, I always put the word yet. I can't do that yet. And so on January morning, I think 2018, I was sitting having breakfast on Sunday, eating food with my wife. Um, and, uh, you know, I said, I want to do that TEDx. And so I had a friend nominate me. And then when you get nominated or you can self-nominate yourself, I filled out the application. A few weeks later, they, you know, contacted me, asked me to fly out to Traverse City and audition. I was nominated from about, there, there was a, I think they had about 100 people who were shortlisted, 10 were invited to go, and then three were, were picked. And then even the day that I did it, they approached me and said, can you uh, anchor the, the, you know, can you be the last? And, and I understood that not to be the last. I, I, I was actually very touched because to be, you know, the TEDx conference is a whole day event with live events and music and performances and, and speeches and, you know, people who are, um, celebrated authors and very smart people that I was like, oh my God, I read your book. Um, so to have the last speech meant that people would walk away and I would be the last thing that they would remember. And for me to say we need to build bridges, not walls, at a time when Trump had been in power for, for a few years and we were all being impacted by his uh, exclusivist and, and, and racist politics, um, I wanted to make sure that that message was heard. And you know, I, I've shared that message on different stages in a couple of um, Toastmasters um, um, competitions. And I won first place. I almost went to um, Colorado and it's okay. I lost somebody who's talking about yoga, which is good. Uh, but I, I was able to actually take it to that stage and to that level and continue the message. And I do today in the work that I do, I believe we have to always talk about why it's important to celebrate our differences and use them as opportunities to make us stronger so that we are stronger because of our differences and not in spite of them. hundred percent. I completely agree. And for the people listening and I mean, the topic that you, that, that you actually broached and that you brought up is an extremely powerful topic. And it was very nice of you to position it in a way where I felt not only could Muslims relate to it, but non-Muslims could listen to that and they could understand it very clearly and understand what you're trying to communicate and the feelings you're trying to get across to them, how it felt to be an outsider, how it felt to be someone that, you know, was named Muhammad versus Mike and, you know, living in, in, in the Western society where, you know, we're the minority, we're not the majority. And so I really appreciated that. And I thought it was extremely powerful. Now, someone listening to this might think, you know, this is something that I would love to do. I'd love to get on TEDx and, and do a speech. I won't lie, I, I would love to do that too. And I, I wanna know like, what, what's the process for that? Is, is this like, is this something that you apply to when you prepare a speech? Do you have to first develop your speaking skills? What was your process in actually, you know, getting to get on that stage? A lot of work, ask my family, ask my child, my youngest who actually would hear me because a good speaker doesn't memorize a speech but for a speech like that and a six minute speech as opposed to the eight minutes, 18 minute speech or 12 minute speech, I knew I had to memorize every word because you're timed. You actually stood there and for, I don't know if you've seen a TEDx speaker, but you, we've got this big clock right in front of us and somebody sitting there with cards and they'll cut you off. And so, you know, looking back, it's like, oh, I was talking too fast. I didn't pause. I didn't breathe. Yes, the speaker in me says, well, you need to slow down. So the, there, there's the preps that you need to do in terms of putting the speech together, writing it, feeling it, living it, believing in it, mm -hmm. making sure that it resonates with a wide audience. There's the mechanics of speaking and the exercises that you need to do and, you know, uh, being aware that you're being judged and you're being timed and all this sort of stuff. But then even before that, there's the work that you have to do in terms of worse you know, where are they speaking? So you go on the TEDx site and now it's a little different because most of them are uh, virtual as opposed to in person, but they're still happening and virtually. And so you go on TED.com and then you'll say, um, you know, where is it happening? And you can actually look at the local TEDx uh, events and you plan about six to nine months in advance. They'll open it up and say, looking for speakers and you'll pitch. Your pitch has got to be spot on. Why is it different? Because now everybody's talking about their book. Everybody's talking about what they're doing. You, you've yeah. got to have a speech that resonates and that's not like all the other speakers who've you know spoken before you or will speak after you. What is it different and what is it doing? And TED stands for, uh, um, I better remember this. Uh, so the T stands for, oh, Muhammad, uh, entertainment, design, so technology, entertainment, and, des and design, okay. right? Right. 
And so the idea is it better be designed. Anyway, <laughs> the idea is that, you know, what are you offering in that space? Mm-hmm. Right. So what do you bring to Ted? So yeah, there's a bit of work and it's very competitive. And remember, it's people who get to make the decision too. So it's not like some higher force is saying, your message is the one that's going to be chosen. Mm-hmm. And nobody is giving you a Nabuwa for Ted, right? So it's based on sometimes on luck and based on who you know uh, and based on how you pitch and based on what they're looking for. So uh, know your audience, know your audience, know yourself and know why your speech is going to be relevant and why it should resonate. And then what do you hope to accomplish once you have that speech, you know, once you share it with, with, with others? Um, because if it doesn't get people to think, and not just people like you and I, if it doesn't get everybody to say, I can relate to that. Maybe I can't relate to you know, my name being taken away from me, but I can relate to having been bullied, or I can relate to not being able to speak up, or I can relate to um, being a, a Jew in an all-Christian environment, or I can relate to whatever the things that have, you know, my speech is proclaiming identity, because I always felt like I couldn't be me, yeah. right? And we hide behind them at various masks because we don't have the courage or the feeling of belonging that we that we crave in order to show up as ourselves. Yeah, definitely. I completely agree with that. And I think that's why I mentioned that I think it's a universal message that even someone who is a non-Muslim could understand and relate to. And I wanted to get your opinion also within this topic of you're an executive leadership coach. So you work with a lot of leaders and uh, you help them become better leaders in what they do, which ultimately affects everything they do and the outcome that they have, the output that they have. Now, does your Muslim identity, speaking of Muslim identity and the TEDx talk that we talked about, does your Muslim identity, did you feel like it had an impact on your ability to perform as a leadership coach or had an impact on your potential for business success? Or maybe you did and then it didn't. What was your perspective within the career-wise? Did Islam have an impact? Did your identity have an impact? So daily, my identity has an impact. But was I intentional in everything that I did from a career perspective or even what I've done in my recent career? You know, I can tell you that at one point, yes, I I do believe because I've always believed. I'm a a closeted spiritual person, but I will talk about spirituality. And when you carry a name like Muhammad, you don't have to, you know, unless somebody is not very aware that Muhammad is an Islamic name, then, you know, you're carrying, it's like I ha- the minute I speak, my hijab is on my head, right? So like our sisters who choose to wear the hijab, they are uh, a visible minority. I'm only a, minor- a visible minority when I speak and people say, oh, your name, Muhammad, what is that, right? Somebody said, no, you can't be a Muslim. No, your parents must have been weavers. I'm like, no, right? So it's not about your color. It's not about where you're from. It's about what you believe and what you have in here. So. I don't think that I was from day one intentional and in saying that my Islamic identity is going to prescript everything that I do. But I did recognize that I'm always searching for who am I? Where do I belong? Why don't I belong? How do I belong better? And how do we create spaces of belonging? And how do we help others accept us and accept them? And so I have some beliefs that maybe some Muslims would shy away from because they say, oh, well, that's not Islamic. And I'm not put on this earth to judge. I say the same luxuries that I'm craving as a Muslim, the same rights that I want others to extend to me as a human being. Because I'm othered as a Muslim, I want to extend to others based on whatever belief system or self-identification system they, they embrace. If I am going to represent a community like I tried to when I was running for politics and will do again, inshallah, sure. if I'm going to represent people, it will be that I have a voice. And when you want to speak on behalf of their voice, you don't have the right to choose to represent some over others. So I'm not a Muslim candidate. I'm not the candidate who will represent Muslims. I am a candidate who self-identifies as a Muslim person who will, in their professional career, have the best interest of the client in mind and use my expertise and experiences to help that person get to become the better version of themselves, emotionally intelligent, aware, aware of others, successful, fulfilled, happy, healthy. And if I bring teachings from my own experiences that have been very much impacted by Islam, well, that person knows that they're going to get a package. I don't have to tell them, though, I'm here to convert you. That's not my goal. 
my goal is to help them transform and they choose the path that they take. Now, if they can see me as a Muslim who comes across as eloquent in the way I speak and the, the way I present myself, opening to others, uh, embracing, aware, you know, wanting to create communities through love. Well, what message is that sending? And to carry a name like Muhammad, if I can't role model what I was sent to role model, that, you know, to carry that name with pride, then I may as well remain Mike. No, no, no insult to, to, to any Mikes out there. But the idea is that having a name like Muhammad, Muhammad is a huge responsibility. Mm-hmm. And I think that, right? That in, in itself, whenever I, I behave in a certain way, I don't only say I disgraced myself, but I disgrace an entire community because unfortunately, wrongly or rightly, people will look at you and say, you represent everyone else from your, from your belief. And so let us, you know, walk forward embracing who we are, the better versions of ourselves so that others can see us and that we can become ambassadors to a beautiful faith. And that's what I've been told at work in my, you know, in, in my experiences with others, people say, you've taught me something about Islam. Thank you. 100%. And I, I, I agree with that. And I think it's a big responsibility and it's important for us to recognize that because some people might say and they might feel that, you know, like just because I, I, I've spoken to um, a few sisters that were the hijab and they're like, you know, I would like to just be myself and not have this thought in the back of my head constantly that whatever I do, whatever action that I take represents all Muslims, you know what I mean? And I understand that. I understand, you know, the, I, I, I understand on one side, the desire to just be like, why can't I just do something where I am the only one held responsible for it and not an entire community. And we can even see that in, unfortunately, the heinous acts that are committed by a very select few minorities that don't represent Islam, uh, just like what's happening now in France and other countries, but then it's causing a backlash against all Muslims. And right. like it or not, these people represent all of us, even though they are not. They are less than 1% if you calculate the billions of Muslims in the world. So, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Because I think, you know, on one side, you know, that responsibility, sometimes people might feel like, you know, why why do I have to go through that? Like, why can't I just be myself and like be responsible for my actions? But at the same time, it's like, I also recognize, yes, as you mentioned, we have a responsibility because the way we carry ourselves, our character, the way we treat others, all of that reflects on Muslims in general. And even when you mentioned earlier, your podcast doesn't cater specifically to Muslims. That's not a bad thing. I think that's actually a good thing. And I think most of us need to build businesses. And as you mentioned, bridges in your TEDx speech with people from outside our community, right? Non-Muslims to show them that, you know, we are still human beings. And, you know, even though we do have a spiritual side to ourselves and we we'll believe in God, what we were taught through that is, the purpose of it is to end up with excellence of character. Right. And that is really the ultimate lesson from the Prophet. Exactly. And so that is what we're trying to communicate and what we're trying to show. So there's two sides of the coin and I'm trying to play. Oh, there's many yeah. sides to the coin. You know, exactly. as I say, we may come from many different backgrounds, but we form one nation, humankind and humankind is so diverse and, you know, and, and, and what makes us good and what makes us not as good. But let me ask you this when, you know, when a cat has been hurt by a human, what will that cat continue to do every time it sees a human? Mm, it's going to run away. It's going to run away. And so animals may start discerning from their interactions with humans based on what they see from humans, right? I'm just taking religion out of this, taking you know our, our Muslimness out of this. If we as humans or if you know, to the animal world or to each other, start behaving in a way that repels people, that scares them and puts them off for whatever reason, everyone will start behaving that way around us. I heard a cat, that cat, every time it sees a human, is going to run away. If that can, you know, if you look at big cities where, you know, the birds go and they feed off the hands of people and, you know, squirrels will come up to you in a park in, in less populated areas, that's not as common because, Animals learn by what they see as well. It becomes a learned trait. And so that's why in in big centers, if we can become more embracing and aware of each other, we will start coming towards each other. We will start feeding from each other's beliefs, right? 
and we will nurture each other. But if we, and that's why you see sometimes in the smaller villages and the smaller towns, people tend to be segregated into their own beliefs and tend to be less open or aware of others because they have not been exposed to them. But our human nature is to nurture, you know, beliefs with others. So if we want to be accepted and seen and loved and respected and embraced, then we have to put our best selves out there. And I believe as Muslims, if we want people to see that as part of our identity, then we need to make sure that we are not showing the part of Islam that people have hijacked. Because I don't believe when you say Islam that there's anything negative to it. I, mm-hmm. you ca- I don't care. And this is where to any audience, I will say absolutely not. My, my faith does not represent evil, does not represent mm-hmm. inequality. So I may not be smart enough to explain to you what a particular uh, verse means or doesn't mean. That's not my, my job. It's my job to learn more about it, but I can't speak on everything Islam because I'm not versed in that. It's not my job. But I should at least carry that amana, that trust as a Muslim wherever I go, whether I'm seen as a Muslim or not as a human. I have a responsibility to nature and to, to my fellow human beings. And as a Muslim, that's an added level of responsibility. And I choose to wear it proudly. Yeah, definitely. I completely agree with that. And I resonate with it. And I mean, for yourself, Muhammad, uh, one of the testaments to that is you running in the federal election of 2019. And we talked about that a little bit earlier outside of this podcast of what that meant exactly and your motivation to do so. And I wanted to kind of share that with our audience of what motivated you to run in the federal election. And some people might think, well, you know, the thing is the current government isn't compatible necessarily to 100% with Islamic values. And I personally, of course, don't necessarily agree with that. I think we need to be more inclusive and we need to be out there a little bit more. But what do you feel about Muslim representation in the government and about participating in the current politics or the political landscape as a Muslim right now? So I don't think that there's any country in the world that is an Islamic-based, Islamic-run based on true ethics and values of, of Islam. So let's just start there, that there isn't any country who can say we are the best Muslims or we have the best political system based on Islam. So we know that to various degrees, we have a very uh, human-centered approach to to politics. And I live in a land where there's certain representation of the states. They have two main parties here. We have five or six, depending on who's, who's running. But if you're going to play in the sandbox, you need to know the rules of the sandbox and you need to make your way in there. And if I wait for people who don't understand the rules and for them to invite me to the sandbox, then I'll probably never get to play. So I need to understand the rules so that I can go into that sandbox and the rules of the sandbox may not always apply to me as a Muslim. Therefore, I'm living in Canada. It's a a land that embraces values that maybe are different and maybe even sometimes at odds with my Islamic values, but then I try to interpret them and align them to my values. So if there are certain things that maybe don't resonate with a Muslim, I try to say, how would I as a Muslim, and not sugarcoated by the way, how as a Muslim can I relate to this? How as a Muslim could this resonate with me? And what's the value? And, And what is the most purest way to approach it is to understand that we are all human beings. We all need representation. We don't need to be judged. We don't need for one person to be better because of their socioeconomic status or their religious beliefs or or their ideologies. What we need is to make sure that if you live in this country, if you're a human being on this earth, you have the right to to exist and and to be treated with respect and honor and and, and love and, and, and appreciation. And if you live in this country, you have the laws to abide by the laws of the land. And our religion actually says, make sure you abide by the laws of the land. So if I want to be part of those laws, and if I want those laws to reflect people like me, like you and I, people who self-identify as Muslim practicing or not practicing, hijabis, not hijabis, praying, not praying, people who call themselves Muslim, who appreciate the, the path of Muhammad from one extreme to the other, then we need to be in that conversation And I've seen that the party that I wanted to be part of, the one that is most open to having conversations from people in the Islamic faith. And when I look now and I see how many people here in Canada are actually of Islamic profession, profess themselves to be Muslims that are part of the government, maybe 16 or 17 MPs, I should know that. I'd like to aspire to be the next one. Now, why did I choose politics? Because you can't 
be part of the change if you are not willing to roll up your sleeves and to help make that change happen. And you can't sit there and wait for others. So you act or you're acted upon. And wanting to get into politics wasn't so, I, I don't want to be a politician. I respect politicians and the hard work that they have. But for me, it wasn't about the role. It was using the influence of, of the position to be able to roll out the vision that I have of inclusive and loving communities where we are strong because of our differences and not in spite of them, that we all belong, that we all have basic needs and wants and desires as human beings, and no one deserves them more than another. And if God wanted to take, uh, you know, to task the people who we might think of, you know, the, the tyrants in this world, God would not have allowed them to breathe. He would not have given them his mercy. So his mercy precedes everything. And therefore, if God decides to give and not judge on this earth, and it is forbidden for a Muslim to curse someone who is perceived to be evil and they've passed on, we are not allowed to do that. Right. So therefore, always lead by mercy, always lead in the divine spirit. And that comes back to if you have the divine living within you, you cannot choose to be one or the other. You must always like an arrow shooting in one direction, always shoot to be godly and divine. hundred mm-hmm, percent. And I completely agree. And I, I really like the statement you said of. Look, if we want to have our voices be heard, we need to roll up our sleeves and 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 make a seat at the table. And I think I completely agree because you know there's there's the you know I think the 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 rash the thought or the thought process of thinking oh this is not a Muslim government so I'm not going to participate and let's just this is not aligned with our values is so counterintuitive uh, because it makes you less heard than you ever will be. You know, like that's what steps are you taking to actually be included in the conversation mm. and actually allow progress to be made, right? Change is not done overnight, but what can you actually actually do to have some sort of progress being made on, on any level? And I think let's be proactive instead of reactive, right? Let's, right. and what, what you're doing right now, you're proactively saying, look, I want to participate in this and I want to participate as a Muslim that has everyone's best interests at heart not just Muslims. And this is really how we should be in, in anything that we do in life. It shouldn't be just, you know, even when the Prophet Sallallahu when he used Sallallahu when he was, uh, when he came back to Mecca after having been kicked out for years, he didn't come in and say, all right, kick everyone out. And that's it. You know, every, yeah, that's it. No, he let them stay. He even gave, kept, let them keep their possessions and let them live there, even though they kicked him out. Right. He was still a mercy. I mean, as you mentioned, he was a mercy to everyone. And so, if we're not embodying that in our daily lives as Muslims as well, then we're not following in the example of the prophet, which right. is the best of creation. And, and so I completely agree with what you're saying. And Abby, I want to share with you, this morning I was invited to an all-women group uh, here in London. There's a, a colleague of mine who was on my podcast. She asked me to be on this call this morning. It's called LEAD. Uh, so it, it's a, a group of women who talk about issues that impact women in the community and it's all women for a reason right and she asked me if I would be there today and it was such a blessing to have a seat at the table with a a group of very intelligent intelligent emotionally intelligent women intelligent women as well uh, aware women women who were willing to you know I've learned everything from the lap of a woman I was young sitting with my grandma who told me stories about where we were from uh, my mom and my sisters and you know, now, you know, I try to learn from my wife. I, I'm i not always the best husband. I'm not always the best of character. We're all human. But I try to remember that it's always a learning process. And as a father, I realize that my daughter needs nurture in a different way than my two sons. So the point that I'm trying to make there is that having that door open to me today was huge to me personally because it allowed me to be at a table where men were not represented, but we need to be allies. And so if we want to be part of that, that that sandbox, if we want to be at the table, if we want to be part of the change that governments, non-Islamic governments are enacting, we need to have a voice. We need to sit at the table. They need to hear us. I remember when I first came to Canada and when I was growing up, the first time I would see a hijabi, oh my God, right? Outside of my family, right? And so now it's commonplace. Well, again, respect to all sisters on all 
parts of life who decide to where or not where. It's not the topic we're we're engaged in today. But when I would see a woman who self-described herself as a Muslim and wearing the hijab, it was like wow. And then I saw it happening in different areas because the southern part of London started having more congregations of Muslims. And then when the, you would see a hijabi downtown, like in the late nineties, and then in the north, what you know, like this mall that was predominantly white, super affluent people you know, like kind of the Yorkdale or like the, uh, um, what is the one on, um, in Montreal, the, uh, uh, the, the Ethan Center. The, no, two, two over, the really expensive one where oh, uh, the, you know, the whole Renfrew and, uh, do you, you know, do you I think, do you yeah, yeah, no, no, it, it's downtown, but I'll, I'll remember. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's the small that was, okay. you know, like, um, really like Britsy, only like white or, you know, dominant people would shop there. Yeah. The point is, if we want to start going to spaces where we feel that we belong, and we're always waiting for others to open that door, it might never happen. Mm -hmm. We need to knock. That's why we're called a tarik. Knock on the door, seek permission. Go in, do not go in through the window. Go in through the door. Go in through the door of people's hearts. Show them who you are. And so that I think is if you come as a package and you show up and you show up wholeheartedly, people will know who you are. And that embraces who you are as a human being, as a Muslim, wonderful, right? And then people can start understanding something different so that we're not othered and we don't allow others to others. So we, we are very active in saying, I don't allow that. Mm -hmm. But I can't sit on the outside and almost complain and say, I'm waiting for somebody else to do a better job. No, I need to roll up my sleeves and get in there. Yeah, 100%. And by the way, totally when we do that, it's not just about rolling up my sleeves for myself or for people that look like me. Because when you change that for anybody who's othered, you know, indigenous people who self-identify as different genders or different races or different beliefs, it's, it's, it's for all of us. Because the dominant culture, the culture that self-identifies as dominant and wants to remain dominant and, and, and you know, own kind of the, the, the narrative, we need to sit at the table and we need to change that narrative. And we only change that narrative. When we rewrite the definition of inclusion, we build a society and a culture that is more tolerant and that eventually becomes more accepting of who we are and the differences that we bring. 100%. I completely agree with you on that. And I think we see eye to eye on that. And just like you're saying with the metaphor of knocking on the door, it's kind of like if you're having a conversation at a table and then there's someone sitting outside the house and they're complaining you know, you're, you're probably not going to listen to them. But if there's someone on that table with you mm. having that conversation, you're much more likely to listen to them. And unfortunately, I feel like Muslims, a lot of times, they prefer to be the person outside of the house instead of the person on the table. Mm. And, um, you know, like... And we complain have, about it all the time. Like, exactly. Careful, right? But we're choosing that, I think, most of the time. Exactly. And, and most I, of I, the time. 100%. I'm happy to see that, you know, this is this. there's change happening. And with yourself mm -hmm. as well, being part of that change, alhamdulillah. And I, I truly appreciate that and I value it. And... I want to ask you right now because, you know, even when it comes to not only politics, but workplaces, and it's something that you work on as a diversity consultant. And it's an interesting term, diversity consultant. A lot of companies lately have been speaking about diversity and about including minorities in the workforce. And there's even a certain target that they want to meet. Now, some of them might meet that target just for the sake of meeting the target for you know, for the sake of it, you know what I mean? Just like, yeah, we're diverse, we're inclusive and we're an inclusive workplace. But I want to ask you as a consultant that specializes in this field, I want your opinion on why diversity matters. What benefit does it actually bring to the table to have people from different backgrounds versus the same people from the same right. background? And I think it's a very relevant question for North people in North America. So people who live in the States or Canada, because we have such diverse communities and in and, and Europe where, you know, now that we see very uh, strong migration and immigration policies, uh, but not inclusive enough. So Mohammed Faki, who you and I know very well, taught me uh, earlier this year, he said an expression to me that now I use all the time I've coined it, I've stolen it from him, <laughs> but I give him credit. Diversity is a fact, inclusion is a choice, you know, diversity all around us, you know, there isn't just one kind of tree or one kind of animal and it doesn't, there isn't just one kind of human being. We, we all from the same, you know, fabric of humanity, but we are very different and that's okay. So diversity is a fact that exists all around us. Inclusion is something we have to be intentional about recognizing that inclusion doesn't happen on its own. Diversity exists, whether or not we recognize it. You know, I don't want to be colorblind, I want to be color bold. I want to recognize the differences that people bring to the table. But in doing so, I have to be inclusive. But 
it's not just doesn't just end there. When I sit at the table and I'm including others, or I make room at the table for others to sit down, be a woman, you know, in our mosques, they, they would never have women on the boards. Now, you know, 10 years later, it's you, where are they, right? So we need to, to make room and we need to challenge if they don't break the beliefs of our faith, we need to challenge why we do things. And that's a, a touchy point that I just mentioned, but a different topic. But the bigger thing beyond inclusion or the next step is belonging. So, you know, I, I, diversity is being invited to come and visit you at your home. Inclusion is when you open the door and ask me to come in and sit at the table. And belonging is when I can take the bread that you offer me and break it and give it back to you. And belonging is where we need to go. Belonging means that I no longer have to feel othered. I no longer have to walk around all the time feeling that I need to explain myself or explain why everyone that looks like me or is represent that people think I represent has to behave in a certain way, why I have to speak on behalf of 1.1 billion people, right? So belonging is where we need to go. So diversity is just, the, you know, it, it's the surface. Inclusion is diving a little deeper. And when you want to start acting equitably, and that's why now you'll see it's changing from diversity and inclusion to diversity, equity, inclusion, and to the other end, you know, we're talking about anti-oppression, right? Because if you don't remove the systemic racism and the barriers that prevent us from coming to your house, you can't have that conversation. So diversity, it's just skimming the water. Inclusion, it's opening the door. Diversity is when you allow me to sit at that table with you and we break bread and you allow me to share that bread that you have offered. And think about it. I say, oh, as a Canadian, I'm so proud of coming here. Canada gave me this. Canada gave me that. Well, it's my chance to give Canada back and to choose to give to everyone, not just to people at my table. So this is why, you know, you probably heard that expression as as an and whatever, right? Right? As for those, right, right? So the idea is that it's now I take what you've given me and I say, let's eat together. Mm-hmm. Completely agree with that. And that's, that's a powerful, powerful statement. And I think it's one of the best ways to segue into um, the last and final question that I usually ask my guests, because I know we're getting close to that one hour. And honestly, I'm having such an amazing time. And I think we're diving into so many important topics that I would have preferred having something more like a three or four hour podcast, but I know that's not possible right now. But what I can maybe try to do for everyone listening, because I'm just looking at the comments coming in constantly and everyone is absolutely enjoying this conversation and getting value from it. So I want to hopefully maybe oh, bring there's people the online with us, eh? That's awesome. And I'll, I'll, always. I mean, if you go through the <laughs> awesome. comments right now, it's it's popping off. Alhamdulillah. Awesome. So people are loving it. People are already sending questions. So we're going to dive into that soon. Give them a chance to ask their questions uh, and hopefully bring you back on to the future because there's so many topics that we can dive into. And I think this was an extremely powerful conversation that needs to be heard by a lot of people, uh, hopefully by everyone, if we can. And that's the goal. Now with you, uh, Brother Muhammad, one of the last questions that I like to ask every single person that comes on this podcast before we dive into q Oh, I'm not single, I'm married, remember? I'm not looking for... <laughs> I like that, that's a, no pun intended. <laughs> we gotta add some humor in there, guys. It's perfect, I love it. So every, per, every married person that comes on this podcast, as well as single person, uh, what we ask is, if you could meet Muhammad from, I'm gonna say the, the eight-year-old Muhammad who used to sit in class or walk home and used to have these very bold and imaginative dreams of himself being in these different positions and scenarios. And you could tell him one thing. You could right now just teleport to that moment and you could tell him one thing. What would that one thing be? So throughout the podcast, you've given me goosebumps, but right now you made me teary-eyed. <laughs> I would embrace that young man, that young boy, and I would say to him, you've always belonged. That's beautiful. Wow, mashallah. That's... I want to let that sink in for a bit. That's that's one of the most powerful answers I've gotten. I really appreciate it. That's really, really nice. It's one of the shortest that I've ever given. Uh, honestly, that's so hard for me, but... I, yeah. I think the most powerful words are the ones that are said simply and eloquently, and that's one of them. So I really appreciate that, brother. So what we're going to do now, uh, while I catch my breath, because you got me emotional now, is to go through a few of the audience questions that we have, mashallah, because we have a few that came in, and I want to use what little time we have left to interact with the audience a little bit, guys. And as you know, we filmed this live, so we got 
uh, the opportunity to get you to ask your questions. And the first one that I have here that I'm going to pull up in a second here, but we have in order to become a leader, how can we manage keeping our ideas, passion and vision simplified so that we can execute on that? So how can we simplify ideas, passion, vision to execute? Very good question. Always have the end in mind. Mm -hmm. What are you trying to change? What are you trying to accomplish? Right. And, you know, and, and before Simon Sinek talked about the why, just why? What change do you want to see? Why? Just keep, you know, little kids, when you tell something to little kids, what do they keep saying to you? Why? And then you say, well, because, and they say, why? Kids have that curiosity to want to know more. And so you keep asking yourself, why am I doing this? Why am I saying that? Yeah. Why does it make a difference? Why is it important? Why do we want to see this change? Just keep going. Because the more you drill down to the native why, to the one that's so inherently within us, you'll find the true reason for why you need to do whatever it is that you do. And that'll give you, that'll help you understand it's that self-awareness. It's that awareness that the reason that I'm driven is to make this change. I could say to you, because it just came out now, you know, again, 52, did I know this for that eight-year-old? But when you asked me, what would I say? That message of purity and, and simplicity was that you always belong. So when I look at everything that I've done in my life, I didn't know that I consistently was doing all of this to belong or to help others belong. Yeah, but you pulled 100%. that out of me. And so, you know, if you can drill down, why do you keep doing this? Why do you do this? Why do you do this? If you can drill it down like I just did, I do it because we all have to belong. And what a place that we can, what, what an environment and a community that we can build where we all feel safe and, and love when we can say that we all belong. 100%. And I think that's an important thing that I practice daily in my life, which is to start with the end in mind. Because if you don't, if you aren't aware of the destination, then you're not going to be aware mm. of the, the road you need to take to get there. So how I think to get that's... there, how much gas in the car? Is it a car? Is it a plane? Is it a mule? Right? Exactly. Is it right? Exactly. So yeah, so shout out to the seven habits, right? You know, if you don't know Stephen Covey, if you don't know Franklin Covey, you know, learning, please read seven habits of highly effective people. Yeah, yeah, it's a great book. Definitely one of the best ones. Uh, I have another one here from Sister Faye, who is a regular viewer. So shout out to you. Thank you for watching this podcast. She says, how did the experience in TEDx change you today? So what new you was reborn after that experience? How did it affect you? How did it change you to finally be on that stage, be in the limelight? Yeah. You know what? It allowed me to say to myself, I can do it and to share it with an audience. The people that go to TEDx are very, you know, to a TED state, uh, environment are already very open-minded and wanting to learn. So you don't have a lot of bigots that go there. Your message needs to go beyond. So, you know, you're kind of uh, preaching to the converted when you're there, but you want to be able to get them talking so that when they leave, you say, oh, wow. And, you know, when people were holding the door as I was walking out after my TED talk, they're like, thank you for sharing that. That was so powerful. So remembering those words that I could leave an impact, that I could create a friend, that I could take, remove the mask of otherness and, you, you know, become united with people and in my shared humanity, that recognition, that awareness gives me that joy that, wow, I can do it. You know, and then whenever people were telling you you're not enough, when you continue to tell yourself you're not enough, I had two job uh, declines yesterday. I was, I'm still, you know, applying and trying to do new things and get new contracts. And two people came back and said, sorry, not the right fit. And I started telling myself, oh, you're not good enough or the, not the right thing for that role, but you're always enough. Just mm -hmm. strive to be better, strive to be more, try, try to do today something on top of what you weren't yesterday. I agree with that. And it's only change only happens outside of our comfort zone. Amazing things only happen outside of the comfort yeah. zone. Completely agree with that. We have another question here from another viewer and it's what tips do you have for Muslims who are trying hard to make their voices heard, but are in the confines of a society that actively seeks to not include them at the table, such as Bill 21 in Quebec. So it's a powerful question here. You're heard on this podcast. You found a way to make your voice heard. Right. Today, you know, so earlier you were saying, uh, Abby, you were asking me about talking on the TED stage. You're doing that every time you host this podcast. You do that every time you bring people 
you know, guests who will share their perspectives. You are doing that. We underestimate the value and the power of technology that is at our fingertips today. So yes, there are forces in communities and in our societies that may hold us back, that may want to drown out the voices. But as we've seen this summer, the voices that have been silenced for way too long are starting to become more amplified. And you just have to find the voice that sounds like your voice, not the same, but has a similar message. Ally, unite with others who share your, you know, rather than, I'll give you the best examples. Us Muslims and Jews have been killing each other in the Middle East for hundreds and thousands of years. We have the opportunity to know that we're both othered in this nation. And if we can look at our brotherhood and our sisterhood and come together and work together on, on you know, building so that our, we can, you know, we have similar values. Why not look at, you know, our religion says, find what you have in common. And so to the sister who's saying, you know, you know, the society that's standing against you, certain parts of that society are holding you back. Nothing is taking away your voice to speak out. Mm -hmm. I think that's the important distinction to make. That's the important distinction to make. And you, you mentioned it perfectly in that if there if the platform is not given to you, then create the platform. Yeah. That's why I did my unfilter podcast, you know, for people, you know, shout out to the podcast. It's I felt, you know what, I can't get on that stage every day, but how do I share my voice and how do I learn and, and amplify the voices? I have a bunch of women, sorry for using that expression that way, right? Bunch of women, right? But I have mainly it's it's it's, it's people who are allies to women and women who are coming speaking on my show because I am so sick and tired of a male-dominated, alpha male-dominated, you know, workplace and society where it's the stronger voice, the louder voice drowns out everybody else. So I created this platform where people can speak and emotionally intelligent people can ally and we can come together to say that we can make the change together. So, and, you know, I'm surprised every time I have somebody on there, I've had people of color, I've had black people, I've had um, people who've had self-revelations to like, I was a racist, I am a racist, we're all going through that. And we wake up and acknowledge and change and embrace a new reality together. Yeah. Completely agree. And with that, Brother Mohammed, I'm not going to take up more of your time, but I wanted to just thank you for showing up on this podcast and sharing so much of your wisdom of your time with us and generously sharing your ideas and your philosophies with us today, because I think they need to be heard. And I think that more of us, especially the younger generation of Muslims right now that are coming up, and it's the vision behind Umarpreneur as well, to help build these Muslim entrepreneurs where we're building businesses, not only catered to Muslims, but catered to everyone that make a positive impact in our communities, that contribute to the people around us, to our families, to our loved ones, and to our societies. Because by building businesses, by building bridges, by building platforms, we are now actively contributing to society, being part of it. And just by doing that, by someone coming in and having a pleasant interaction with you, it might be nothing less than or nothing more than a pleasant interaction with you. That could be the, the seed that is planted within them to shift their mindset towards Muslims and towards Islam in general, just by having a small positive experience. And can I share something to that? Yes. We often hear, oh, you're the future. You are the present. You are the bridges that are bridging my generation and the generation of our parents from a culture and a community and a society that was othered and that was from a different part of this world and a different reality. But in the immediate new reality that we are creating now with social media and these platforms and, and the uh, coming together of, of everyone around the world because of the immediacy of technology, you are the bridge. So continue building these bridges. Don't run away from what your parents want to teach you. And I, I'm not talking down to people here, but you know, I, I talk to youth like you and even younger, like to my children. Don't feel you have to take off the, you know, the veil of who you are be, that your parents have tried to put on you. Embrace it and use it as something that embellishes you. And remember that now you can share with your parents and protect them with that same veil by opening up their eyes and showing them that, you know, we, we you know, Imam Ali says that you are not created okay. for, do, do not treat your children in the same way that you've been treated because you're, you know, different realities. And so we have to recognize, I can't expect my kids to live in the same way. I can show examples and with empathy, I can lean in and say, you know what? It was kind of like this for me. 
How is it for you? So be those bridges for us. Don't think that you have to seek permission from the older generations, your parents, your uncles, and right? You are the generation, you are the generation that will bridge us, the older generations, and that will create an easier transition for even the youths who are 10 and 12 and yet to be born, who want to identify as Muslim, you will be that bridge and you will be forever grateful. And when you talk to your eight-year-old selves, you'll say, thank you for creating a place where we all belong. 100%. And I thank you for that, Brother Muhammad. And where can people go to support you? Where can they go to listen to your podcast, to connect with you? What's the best place to send our viewers to? And I'll make sure to include the links in the description as well. Sure. I, you know, I can, uh, I, I've got, so this isn't a call out for any business that I do, but reach out to me on this platform, reach out on the Unfiltered Podcast, you know, I'll share that with you. Um, you know, if, if you're looking or your companies or for those of you who are looking for any sort of leadership training or diversity, equity, inclusion, anything of the sort, uh, reach out to me in whichever way you have. So I've got websites, Desire to Lead. I've got my MohammedAmin.com. If you can reach me on this platform, Facebook, send me a, a messenger. If you can reach me by email, you have that. Whatever way you can reach out. Hopefully I can be there of service or to help or to answer any questions. And I thank you, Abby, because uh, I've looked at you from a, at a distance. I thought, mashallah, what a handsome young man who's making a change and speaking to the rest of us and including us. And I thank you for continuing to be the light, just like the light is shining on you right now. <laughs> You're allowing the light of these conversations to shine on everyone, not just on Muslims, but on everyone, because the message that we give today is a message of unity and, and beauty. So thank you for being that catalyst and the change that we want to see in the world. brother. Thank you for sharing so generously your time and honestly your knowledge and wisdom with us today. And we'll make sure to drop these links in the description, whether you're listening on Spotify, watching on YouTube, or you're part of our Omarpreneur group, we'll make sure to include that so you can reach out to Muhammad if you want to connect with him. And make sure to listen to his podcast, The Unfiltered Podcast, because it's an extremely valuable and well-produced podcast that I personally benefit from and I enjoy as well. Yeah. So thank you guys for listening. Make sure to subscribe and follow our podcast no matter what, what platform you're listening or watching on. And we'll see you next week, inshallah. Take care. Assalamu alaikum.